Hey folks, this is John. Thanks for listening to Saul Searching on the FYIZ podcast feed. In this episode, we'll be talking about the ninth episode of Better Call Saul's sixth and final season, and it's called Fun and Games. It was written by Ann Cherkis and directed by Michael Morris. Now for my guests, I wanted to talk to my friends Erin Oliver James and her husband Ronald James, but because they have a little baby, uh, they kind of had to take turns watching the baby and recording a silly podcast with me. So uh, first you'll get Ronald, and then at the halfway point, we will switch to Erin. It's really kind of two episodes for the price of one. So without anything further about that, here's Saul Searching. Thank you so much, Ronald, for coming back to Saul Searching to talk to me about what I think turned out to be a pretty pivotal episode of this show. Um, oh, man. Uh, any first thoughts, just gut reactions to to uh, fun and games? I think I was, I mean, if eight, eight was devastating and then nine was even more devastating because, you know, you have the loss of a life in eight, um, two, two lives which felt so so much different than I would have ever imagined. Like Lalo dying, like, you know, as villainous as he was and, and the terrible thing he did right before he died, I still felt so crazy when he died. And I felt really crazy when Howard died. Like, I felt like I was mourning these people and seeing their bodies go into the ditch was, cra I mean, you know, it felt insane. Then to come to the next episode, the, you know, this, this crescendo and then you have these two people reacting to it they were told to go to work live their lives like they normally would come back home and you know they it was presented to them like everything would be okay but no i mean like no and a decision was made that watching saul kind of beg you know there's something that you almost never see him do even when he's in a position where he's uh, could be dying he's not really begging he's more like fright frightened and you know just trying to scramble and it's like the negotiation that he goes into when he's in trouble right yeah this was different this felt like um we saw his heartbreak yeah it's, it's heartbreak there's always some leverage with with Saul and this didn't feel like that he didn't feel like he had anything and because of that you found him kind of mapping out what he wanted to do to make it better and it's, it doesn't seem like it. I mean, we don't see Kim Wexler in Breaking Bad, so we know that this might be, as Boyz II Men say, the end of the road. We've known there had to be some reason why we didn't see mm -hmm. Kim on Breaking Bad. And what we didn't know watching this show was, are the writers going to pull a trick and make it so that, oh, she was around, but we mm -hmm. just didn't know it. And I think that could have been a cool way to go. But I think as we got further into this season, especially, because this is the season where Kim's really been in it with Jimmy the most, where th this version of Kim we got in season six with this scheme against Howard mm -hmm. has been the version that you would say, oh, sh she's the person who might stick around. She's the person who might be like Saul's advisor during the Breaking Bad days. But it still never felt right because it felt like, well, no, Saul has to be kind of a lonely man because the Saul we see in Breaking Bad isn't just Jimmy playing a part. Yeah. It's it's like there's a lack. There's something missing. Um, yeah. He's darker, more glib about life and death. Didn't mm. care about anything. That whole idea that Jimmy cares about Kim and that she might be the only person on this show that he cares about so much that hasn't 
burned him incredibly. Like we know he loved Chuck and he respected Chuck, but that relationship with his brother was so complicated that by the time we meet them, you could easily say that Jimmy hates Chuck as 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 that he loves him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kim is this is a peer, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Is like someone who's right yeah. alongside him. So the notion that she would either be like to me the version of this show that would have been a little bit more shallow and a little bit more fun that would be the big reveal is that kim yeah. would be his advisor during breaking bad but i think uh. the writers of this show that all along they've made it they've every time like i think they even started off with this show thinking they were going to make a more surface level yeah. let's have fun let's see what it takes to be saul goodman and then every time they came to that point of well this guy's got to move towards saul goodman they were like no no one becomes saul goodman for a good reason like yeah Saul Goodman, if you're a human being and then you become Saul Goodman, something is so – you've lost something, you know? Yeah. So I think as we got closer and closer to that, that's where so many people were talking about Kim like, oh, she's going to die or she has to die. That used to be a thing I used to hear people say all oh, the time is has that Kim has to die for him to become Saul. But it never made sense to me because I thought if Kim died, then he would be too dark. It wouldn't make Saul make sense. I don't think yeah. Jimmy would be able to function if Kim died. But this yeah. – this whole thing we just got recently with Howard dying, and you realize that's what you need. The push is not Kim dying. The push is someone innocent, so to speak, someone who's not connected to the drug cartel dying. Yeah. That's what it was. Um, and it's, so I think that, that seeing that it was a, a breakup, that is the reason yeah. why Kim's not in his life anymore. It, it's like it answers a question that we've had, and it, and it creates so many more about, well, that's not really goodbye. I don't think any of us really think that's the last time we're going to see Kim on this show, but that opens up the possibility of what is that future for them? And is there any way back yeah. to any kind of happiness for these people? Yeah. You know, um, so there's only a few things prequel-wise that really um, measure up to anything that I feel like is of quality. This is one of them, obviously. And then another one is Rogue One. Rogue One did some did a trick that I, I I mean it's not it's less of a trick more of like a just the storytelling was done well enough. This happens. This is I'm getting in the weeds a little bit, but Rogue One was about a, a, an event between two events, and in order for you know the events that we know to occur, Rogue One has to happen, and you realize kind of 20 minutes before the movie's over that in order for us to get to what we know to be Star Wars. That these people don't exist, right? We you never know? heard their and names mentioned. We either. never heard their ma- their names. They're not in the world that we've seen. So something must have happened, and it does that trick of like you know what this is because the story is told so well. You don't think about it as a way of being like you probably aren't going to see these people in the same capacity. And I felt that way with this show. Like I know that Kim isn't going to be in Breaking Bad, but for some reason. You know, the story's told well enough that when you get to the point where she leaves, it's like, what? How? I mean, Lalo said when he saw her, basically like this, she's too good for him. Like, she's hot. She's too good for him. And we've thought this as she goes along. She makes him make sense in a way that by himself, he seems like kind of lost. Well, I think, well, one thing I want to say is that even though Rogue One is not one of my favorite Star Wars movies, I do think that last part of the movie where you're talking about, and it's funny that um, it seems on this show that we keep, uh, we can't stay, it, whenever you start a podcast and you start talking, uh, somebody's going to mention Star Wars. It's just going to happen. Of course. <laughs> Mm-hmm. There's a Venn diagram of people who who talk about Star Wars and people who do podcasts, and somehow Star Wars is going to come up. But Absolutely. I do think you're right that as you get close to the end of that movie, the thing that 
is in the thing that sets it apart is it is it is the one part of that story that we've been given that has yeah. to end badly for everybody. And and when you're yeah. watching it the first time, you do feel that sense of, oh yeah, I guess none of these people, I don't have any reason to think that any of these people make it out of this. And right. and so hoping that maybe one or two escape to run off together or something, you that's more what you expect. You don't yeah. expect it to give you the the kind of brutal uh, no, these people are doomed thing. And I think on this show, even though I, I at this point am willing to say, I think Kim has made it out alive. Uh, whatever happens I next, so. I, I don't think mortal danger is is a storyline for Kim. Um, yeah. However, it is interesting to note that when you look at them announcing the new cast of Better Call Saul, oh, there's this new character named Chuck. Oh, there's this new character named Nacho. Oh, there's this new character named Howard. Oh, there's this other guy coming along, this new character named Lalo. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they're all uh, it's a, it's a death march for every one of yeah. these characters. Yes, and it's like now you with each one of those turns, even if Jimmy wasn't around for it or didn't have anything to do with it, um, each one of those characters, it's like it takes a little piece out of our belief that Saul Goodman was ever a fun character, that he was ever funny, you know, that he was ever yeah. just a clown. Um, so I do think that's an interesting thing this show has done with its with its new characters is really say like, well, what if we what if we really take a scorched earth policy and say, yeah. oh, there's a real good reason why you haven't seen any of these people around. They're gone, you know? Yeah. And Kim's the only one who may have gotten out before, or maybe the times where her life was in danger, she was tough enough and smart enough to talk her way through it, get her way out of it. Um, yeah. I, I definitely believe there's a way she could have died at Gus's door uh, if that situation, if Mike hadn't been there, that wouldn't have gone well for Kim. Oh, man. They talk about, like, this whole thing with Mike. So one thing that I think is incredibly overdone is, like, when you watch mafia movies, people are pretty heartless about the decisions they have to make. And I guess up until maybe Sopranos, when you have a person literally talking to a therapist about it, right. you really see the trauma that happens when you have to make a decision like that. Mike's emotions and Gus's emotions during the course of this are really telling about what it takes to play chess in real life, like to play chess with, with people who are really trying to take your life and the residual sort of feelings that happen. Mm -hmm. After, I mean, like you can't you can't really separate yourself from it. Even somebody with m like Mike, with like what seems like military training, and you know, you 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 you've taught you're taught in the military to kind of deal with death in a very particular way, and that doesn't help your brain process that stuff any better. Well, we know that Mike has the idea that if you're in the game, it's different. Yeah, Mike will shoot you. He will shoot you between the eyes. Yes. You know, with no feeling if you're in the game. If you're not, yeah. Mike has funny feelings about it. And we saw that last yeah. week with when they were throwing the bodies in the hole. That Lalo goes yeah. in and Mike doesn't give a shit. When they're putting Howard in, he's like, take it easy, you know? So there is this whole thing of he does feel the toll of this. And he knows his own life. His son, I don't know if you remember his origin story from the beginning of this show, right. but his own son was a, was trying to be a good cop around a bunch of corrupt cops. And Mike was one of the corrupt cops who mm. was kind of telling his son, like, play along so you don't get hurt, you know? Yeah. Um, and we know that Mike at different points in this story has tried to help Jimmy or Kim because he thinks like, you two don't know what you're really dealing with here. You don't know what you're dancing no. at the edge of. Let me help you out. Let me look over you. You know, he's been there uh, when Lalo came to their apartment at the end of uh, uh, season five. Um, um, 
or towards the end of season five, uh, Mike was outside with a sniper rifle, ready to shoot Lalo if it went south for, yeah. for Jimmy and Kim. I also assume Mike would have been there to shoot Jimmy if Lalo started torturing him or something like that. You know, like Mike has got this weird ethic to what he's yeah. doing. Um, mm -hmm. But I think this week too, what Mike does is we see how he is dealing with the stress of this because even though Nacho was in the game, um, he knows somebody who wasn't, and that's Nacho's dad. And uh, I, I did think we might come back around and have a Mike and Nacho's dad scene. I didn't know what the context of it might be. I'll, ha I'll be honest, it wasn't on my mind when this episode started, but the second he looked in that box and he saw the license, the fake ID that, that Nacho had made for his dad when he was hoping his dad would run away with him, yeah, I think Mike starts thinking about, oh, that, like, this guy's like my daughter-in-law or my granddaughter or my son or anybody yeah. else I've seen get caught in the wheels of this this horrible machine, this crime that's just, you know, if once you dip your toe in, it corrupts your life. Um, and I, I think that's an interesting thing because Mike, too, has to kind of swallow the bitter pill that uh, Nacha's dad serves him up when he says, well, guess what? You came here to make yourself feel better, not me. And you're no different from any of the people that you think you're different from. Coming here and talking to me doesn't make you a good guy. Or it's not about justice for you guys, it's about revenge. Uh, yeah. And when you think about it, like, well, a lot of revenge, or at least vengeful feelings, have been fueling not just Mike, but what what Jimmy and Kim did to um, to Howard was, was very vindictive. What yeah. Jimmy did to Chuck... Uh, you know, was vindictive. There, there is a lot of people telling themselves they're doing it for some reason that's not the real reason, that really like your pettiness, your your anger, yeah. whatever. Um, I'm reminded of something that Don Eladio said to Gus at the beginning of this episode where he said about hate. He said, um, you know, it's okay to have a little bit of it. I see hate in your eyes. There's, It's okay, but don't forget who's boss. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a weird thing about all of this, like, confrontation there's a there's a saying i have when i talk to aaron you can't tell people how to fight mm -hmm. you know once once a confrontation happens it's 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 why confrontation is so crazy to me like you know i, I mean without going into too much detail um i've had a lot of experience in my life with seeing how people react to confrontation like you think that somebody's just gonna yell at you and then somebody like goes to the ground and picks up a brick and then you're like this is not yeah, what I thought this person was how this person was going to fight, but that's why <laughs> I came here for a yelling fight, not a brick <laughs> yes, fight. Yes, <laughs> yes, but that's but that's what it is. Like you, once you're in the game, once you're in the game, which is why I'm I'm not in the game. Oh, same and here. I'm sure that's why you're not in the game. You've probably seen a certain level of like, you know, wrestling has like one, two, three. But when you go to see like underground wrestling, they are hitting people with barbed wire and throwing them off of balconies the game changes mm -hmm. you know and and you don't want to you don't want anybody to get into that that can't handle it and it's not that you think somebody's soft or not soft it's just can you deal with the consequences of all this stuff happening and mike even a person who can deal with the consequences can't really deal with the consequences if you're processing things that way that means that you don't you're not wired necessarily to deal with death and life and all that stuff this like that it just isn't it's it's a personality profile that 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 gets into that sort of way of dealing with confrontation so you know when you have gus kind of taking a sigh of uh you know a sigh at the bar and and being told this story from the you know this this waiter and i think that are they telling us something about gus well we know that gus 
his past is fueled by his partnership, like the Los Pollos Hermanos, the Chicken Brothers. Um, uh, Max, I think Art Cienega, was his partner that Don Eladio, um like when when Gus was coming up and trying to switch it over, you know, saying let's switch from cocaine to meth, um, mm. you know, there was that whole thing about uh, Don Eladio was was felt disrespected by the way Gus came into the situation and tra- started trying mm. to manipulate things, and so he, you know, he had Hector execute um, Gus's partner in front of him, and it's heavily implied without coming out and saying it. And I don't think it's the show being sheepish. You know, sometimes you feel like shows should just come out oh, and right, be more right, open right. about someone's sexuality. But I feel like Gus is such a guarded man, the show is kind of smart to play it like he wouldn't be so obvious about what what is going on inside him. But definitely, yeah. we have reason to believe that Gus had a, a something at least very close to a, an intimate, if not romantic, relationship with his partner, Max, when, when he got killed. And yeah, and this week, seeing he's at Don Eladio's place, and then after that great scene, which, by the way, I thought it was really interesting how Hector was just so fucked up by the way things happened. It made Hector look so crazy. I'm reminded of the way Howard looked a couple episodes ago when he was saying, no, trust me, Jimmy and Kim did this, you know? Yes, and he just yeah. sounded crazy. He sounded fixated yeah. on it. And I think I think Hector sounds like he's stuck on Gus the way that, J- that Howard sounded like he's stuck on Jimmy and Kim, you know? Which yeah, is like you just yeah. – whenever – that's the worst thing to do, by the way, when you can ruse – put a ruse on somebody so that they sound crazy when they, when yes. they, when they call you out on what you did. But yeah. like – so seeing that moment at the beginning of this episode, but then Gus looks down in the pool and there was an image of, I believe, Max's blood dripping down into the pool in, yeah. um, in that old Breaking Bad episode um, – uh, yeah, I think then seeing Gus at this restaurant where clearly this uh, this waiter or this sommelier or whatever it is at this place, he's got a relationship, like a friendly, uh, at least a friendly relationship. And I felt like it was so painful to see like Gus has this little, there's this little taste of the life that Gus, this this man of intelligence and taste and culture, he could have this kind of conversation all the time. You can tell he's kind of thrilled by it. But you can also tell that in the end, he realizes, no, I can't have this. Yeah, and that's heartbreaking. That's, you know, he leaves, the guy's going to show him this bottle of wine, this guy who could yeah. be his friend. But you go yes. like, no, Gus Fring isn't wired for friendship. Right. Maybe because of what happened in the past, but maybe he just knows, maybe he just is sitting there. It's like what we're talking about. No, I'm in the game. I can't sit yeah. here and enjoy a story and have a friendship with a waiter. Um, I have to go be thinking about my operation. I have to go be thinking about what the pressure that's now on me from Don Eladio. Um so yeah, I think we're to indicate that there's if like maybe an unrequited attraction or affection or something with this uh, yeah. the guy at the restaurant. It, you know, even even people that aren't in the game and and just the what it takes to meet a new person. You know, mm-hmm. you you bring all that baggage in. You know, there are people that. You know, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing meeting a new person, let alone sucking them into your world. You just like they have to get used to my quirks. I got to used to their quirks. Do they know all this trauma? You know, I got to tell them about all this stuff. You know, I I lost a couple of people. I did a couple of things. You know, it's just like a lot of things. And, you know, you there's the, the point where his 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 face changes when he tastes the wine and then he sits it down and it's. His face completely gets washed over with the reality that he can't do it. It's one of the saddest things I've ever seen, you know, mm-hmm. combined with him kind of moving around wincing from from the from the, you know, the, the pain of the shot that he took with the yeah. vest on. You know, it's just 
Which was a moment that could easily have been his end. And Gus knows yeah. that. Gus knows that that was like almost sloppy of him, even though he planned yeah. it as well as he could. He felt vulnerable. Do you think maybe Gus was thinking like, oh, if I actually, if I have a friend like this, they're doomed. Yes. Like, eventually, if this man is in my life, he yeah. will die. It's like if somebody, you know, the, the way that people move in these situations is they, they, they use your weaknesses to expose you. And if this love, this friend is in his life, they will destroy this man to, to hurt him. Mm -hmm. and, and the idea of that is just devastating. The fact that he has to live in this weird sort of, you know, front facing happy for, for politicians. And that's just, it's devastating. And, and the fact that actually the closest people that he has are like Mike, his managers at the store. It's like these little exchanges and it can't be fully emotional. Like it's like little things that he does for people that lets you know that he cares. Um, very, very strange. Yeah, I thought about Lyle at, at the restaurant, too. I thought about the fact that yeah. here's someone who Gus ha clearly has a weird kind of respect for. And Lyle, you know, you see Gus, and it's like Gus seems like a, a boss with real integrity. Yeah. Um, if you work at that restaurant, you might, especially if you're the guy who, that kind of manager like Lyle seems to be at the restaurant, where it's like, you take, you know, there are those people that, if you've ever worked at any kind of place, uh, retail, fast food, anything, mm. there may be the owner and then there's the manager. And sometimes when you're the person working the counter, the manager seems like a real kiss up to the owner. Like, and sometimes yeah. you want to fucking kill that manager <laughs> because there's such a kiss up. But I think it's interesting too, to think about how sometimes that is a real relationship that goes yeah. deep. Like there's, I mean, I a word that comes up a lot on this podcast is trust. Um, Lyle is trusted by Gus. That yeah. takes a lot. It, it, it's weird to say that to manage a guy's chicken place, you have to you have to be worthy of the same kind of trust he puts in someone like Mike. But in a strange yeah. way, to Gus, it's all one and the same. It's all about keeping yourself together and keeping all that shit straight. And I think that, yes, I thought about Lyle when I was thinking about the guy, the guy at the restaurant in this one, where it's like, here's another person who's, who's in Gus's life and who Gus almost has a real relationship with, a mm -hmm. friendship with something. And yet it's, it can't be more than what it is because he's got to keep He's just got to stay buttoned up. He's got to watch yeah. the details and make sure that he's not, especially now that his mission is succeeding to to elevate himself in this organization. He he really can't get sloppy. Um, Poor guy, man. Poor yeah. guy. We're saying that about Gus Fring at this point. I mean, what a great show yeah. that they've got us saying poor guy about Gus. So, yes. so what do you think is left for Gus story-wise in this show? The only thing I can think of really is that seeing how he and Saul hook up, like based on what happens in this episode that we're talking about, it, we jump forward, it's not clear, but a couple of years or so. Um, yeah. I don't know if in that interim, we're to th if we may find out that you know Saul is already Gus's lawyer, but I think there's still a scene or a story point or something that's gonna sell us the idea that Gus sees a use for someone like Saul um, and that Saul knows he's getting into bed with someone like Gus um, yeah. because the Saul we see at the end of this episode, he's dealing with all these petty crooks and he's got this empire uh, uh, that we know to be the Saul Goodman empire from Breaking Bad, but we don't yeah. know yet that he's that he's quite as deep into it and into the, the game, so to speak. And with Gus too, it seems like why would he choose, if he could choose all the lawyers in the world, which he could, why does he need Saul Goodman? Well, it's that whole thing, that line on Breaking Bad, it's you don't need a criminal lawyer, you need a criminal lawyer, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
So what I do you mean, think? What do you think about Gus's remaining story? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's. I feel like that's the only thing we have left is the space to kind of show, you know, Saul is, is a resource that like, sometimes you meet people, you know, I've met people in my life that are better at things than, than me, right? Mm-hmm. And then you meet people that are better at things than me, and then they could do way more. And, you know, there's a, there's a level of like, fight that that i don't have in that way like i fight for a lot of things but like like if i had somebody like saul who would there's a muddiness to it that gus does not have the capacity to deal with it's like mike's that way and saul is that way there's a muddiness that they're willing to put their hands in the dirt and do that gus just doesn't have the capacity for he understands it. He he can make it so. He can fathom it, but he can't execute it. And I love the idea that he's smart enough to know that. Sure, he could. He's he's a strong person that could probably execute a lot of these things himself. But he has the capacity to know that, you know, Saul can take care of it. And I think, especially what happened to him with Lalo. He can he can dispense out this stuff now. He knows that he has to be more vigilant about these things. He has to be more, you know, he has to think 20 steps ahead now versus 10. Uh, you know, or the killer will literally come through a fan and try to kill you. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I think that's a funny point to make because it is mm. a little bit like there's two things going on there with what you're saying. One is that Gus might, after the Lalo incident, he might feel, as I've said, like, this is Gus ascendant. This is Gus, you can't stop me. Mm-hmm. Even when Mike says to him at the end of that episode, this could have gone a different way. And uh, Gus says, it could have. But and it's it like, ooh, <laughs> damn, you know? Right. But, like, but also, Gus probably knows, I can't, it, I can't let it get that close again. That guy, mm-hmm. that, one inch in the dark, different, one of those shots, you know, yeah. I might be dead. Um, two seconds in the dark, uh, I might be dead. So I think that, yeah. like, there is a... That there is like, there's a lot going on in Gus's mind right now about how not to let this happen again. And that means both how not to let unintended consequences crop up that I have to deal yeah. with, but also how to insulate myself. And when Mike's saying that to him, how could this have gone? I think that, um, like, I think that we see that Mike's voice in Gus's ear about like, almost like you need me to take care of this shit. Yeah. Like, Gus might be realizing, yes, I need to delegate some of this stuff. I need to trust yeah. that Mike knows what he's talking about when he says, keep your head down, go here, do that, because he's trying to preserve my sphere of of leadership yeah. so that I don't have to worry about how am I going to kill this guy in, in the super lab, you know, that I yes. can actually... But in, and that was with as many men as they could have had around Gus, it still and went it's the still, way it did. So Gus is, has to be thinking now, like, not only is that threat gone... So I'm more powerful, but if another threat like that comes along, I can't be caught with my pants down again. Yeah. I think Gus, after this, became better at the illusion of seeming like he's by himself. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, I remember a couple of scenes where, like, it would feel like he was by himself. Somebody would try to go towards him and then something would happen. Like, I think he's, he's, he's developed this 
sort of illusion now that like, oh, yes, I am the person that is in the store by myself as a manager. But no, the person behind me is armed. You know, the person, you know, you figure all that stuff out when you get close to him. Yeah. But he really starts to develop this facade of I am Gus Fring, the manager the isolated person who who is so separated from drugs. Yeah. But you come close enough, 50 people are there with guns. And yeah. I love that about him. You know, it, it really is the catalyst that created this facade of whatever it is, like the full thing, because it existed. But, you know, Mike telling him that this could have went another way. Mm-hmm. You know, and him being an arrogant asshole and kind of saying, but, you know, but... Yeah. Yeah, he really did take that into account. And, you know, he has an empire of goons that'll take you take your life if you try to do this ever again. It's never going to happen in the same way until yeah. something weird happens. But, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I think that's what it is. Long story short, I think that this is the the building of his his facade. Right. And if we don't really see much more of him... We kind of know where he's at. Like we know, yeah. we know how that's happening. And I think the same is true of Mike. Even though I think that there's still some Mike Jimmy stuff left to do. I still think there's fun mm. to be had. Fun is a l- relative term in this show at this point. But there's yeah. there's plot interest to be wrung out of some of these characters just being in scenes together. I just want to see Bob Odenkirk and Giancarlo Esposito and um, so Esposito and um, and uh, and and uh, Jonathan Banks. I just want to see those three characters. In a, in a room talking like I just yeah. that's that's what it is for me but um yeah story-wise as this you know it felt like puzzle pieces fallen into place and it's in a very very satisfying way this has been a yeah. a puzzle that is a simple image that we kind of know what it is and we kind of know what it has to be and it can yeah. still be super satisfying when you're putting those you got a big area that's all one color and you don't really know how the pieces fit together until you cut and start getting them put in. And then you're like, yeah. oh, this isn't where I'm looking down and I can tell this is a car and that's a tree. This is just yeah. sky. Or, you know what I mean? This is a this is a one color puzzle. Um, yeah. And it, it and when, but it still feels cool when you see it start to take shape. And I really think that's really the only thing left I can see. I would say similarly about Mike that um, we kind of know where he is, but I think that that relationship between Saul and Mike and now it feels so much more natural to call him Saul than to call him Jimmy. I might still call yes. him either one, but yeah. like that feels like there's con- there has to be some some stuff left to do. Yeah. I almost feel like Mike is gonna be disappointed in Jimmy. Like you're gonna feel Mike looking at Jimmy like, <sighs> yeah. yeah, you know, like so- I saw. I know what you had. I know what you idiots did. I know yeah. how you messed it up for yourselves. I think that like the opening of this episode, it was interesting. We had Mike doing the cleanup at the apartment. We had mm-hmm. Jimmy and Kim, as Mike said, as you as you mentioned, the directive he gave them. I love what did he say? He said, Today, you're Lawrence Olivier in Meryl Streep. <clears throat> <laughs> I like but remember he said, Don't look off into space. Don't yeah. anything. Anything that would seem different. Anybody around you might say they were acting different on this day. That's exactly yeah. what investigators are looking for. Um, I think he was dealing with his own version of that, of like, man, this guy's so ugly, so fast. And even though we see yeah. the kind of guy that Michael gunned down, we don't, he doesn't throw semi-innocent lawyers in a hole in, in the ground that often. You know, he didn't yeah. like this. Um, yeah. What did you think of that little bit of Mike we saw this episode in particular, even though I mentioned my feelings on his scene with Nacho's dad? How did you, how did that scene leave you feeling? Do you think that was, do you think Nacho's dad pretty much had Mike dead to rights? Or do you think maybe Mike, do you think Mike was being misunderstood that maybe Mike understands more than Nacho's dad realizes about 
like the difference between their two worlds. Yeah, I, I mean, where Mike is in such a strange place, man. Like he really does have to take the brunt of all of it. Like he is, you know, if 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 there were if there were to be uh, if all the stuff that happened in this season were on one level. He's underneath sopping up all the blood, you like mm-hmm. literally doing that. So like, you know, he's metabolizing that stuff, watching him burn the things. Um, you know, look at his really, eyes. The, there's yeah. no soul in that guy when he's burning that stuff. Yeah. And, but, you know, watching him do it, you know, the father, the father scene was important because it was for him. It was for him. His father, you know, Nacho's dad was right. But what Nacho's dad didn't know was him also talking almost to himself about his son mm-hmm. and everything that happened with his son, which is heavy as fuck, man. It's it's like you mean Mike's son, like the fact Mike's that son, Mike, Mike, yeah, that Mike, Mike lost son. a son, like Mike's son. Yes. You're right, Mike's on the other side of that divide. He's talking he, to himself. He lost almost. a son, but but influencing his son from the other direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they both have lost a son to this. You know? Yeah, that is so that's he's ta- deep. He's, He's almost talking to himself about this stuff, like, you know, the the to a version of himself that wasn't in the game and is just processing losing a son. He's talking to himself almost in a way, which is fucking heavy. Like I said, so heavy. Um, it's so heavy, Ronald. It's heavy. It's heavy <laughs> I mean, thing. as the dad, because I, I just recently rewatched the, the first season of Better Call Saul and mm. um, got to that scene where Mike's talking about when he when he told his son to like play along so that nobody thinks that you're you're trying to rat on him like you don't want to die yeah. because the other cops think that you're going to you know going to tell on him and yeah. when Jonathan Banks delivers that line he's he's breaking down and he says i broke my boy yeah i broke my boy good god man as a father so- holy shit yeah <laughs> that's the ultimate I, failure and yeah. to live beyond that i mean i even think People that outlive their kids feel some of that guilt, and they, 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 that guilt, and they shouldn't, you know, because obviously there's a lot of reasons why people outlive kids that have nothing yeah. to do with <laughs> being a corrupt cop or being in the game. But yeah. still, I remember my granddad. My my dad died when before my granddad did, and uh, mm. I remember my granddad. He couldn't make sense out of it. Like if it ever came up, he was just like, "That wasn't supposed to happen." Yeah, it's it's. What is the logic of it? Like, yeah. it's, it's what was no all of like, this for? Right? What was any yeah, of it for? Yeah. What was any? Yeah. So you know, getting having a kid, you know, you feel things very differently. Like you know, so okay. So I have a question related to all of this stuff. Like you know, as this stuff kind of ends and we go into the the series finale. Yeah, the total end gonna, game, last act, total end game. Are you gonna? Rewatch Breaking Bad with this new scope of everything that happened. I might. I I, I think I could enjoy that. I've watched recently. Uh, uh, my son uh, hit the right age. He's fourteen. He started watching Breaking mm-hmm. Bad recently. He loved it. I popped in on different episodes he was watching. I've had my little constant check in with the show over the course of doing this podcast about Better Call Saul because okay. you constantly have to go back and find. They've done some amazing matching of a shot or the oh. same angle on a character or this shot of Jimmy is just like this shot of Saul in the desert. You know, there's all these different things that they do, yeah. and there's no end to that. Um, and they even have someone on set uh, whose job it is to like sit there with like an iPad and compare shots and like Holy check to see like there's a shot of um, uh, when Kim goes up to I believe it's when Kim walks up to Gus's house 
Um, it's like a there's a shot of Walt going up to Gus's house. That's a similar shot, and they they tr- they Whoa. got as close as they could to the same angle, same height, all that kind of stuff. So they're working very hard on making those connections, even if they don't like. You don't have to know that stuff for this drama yeah, yeah. to be good. Yeah. But so I think, yeah, I think that ultimately the whole show, I still feel like, I still feel like you watch Breaking Bad first. If you were watching this show, I still yeah. feel like chronologically Better Call Saul is a, it, 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 it's referencing back to Breaking Bad. It's echoing moments on Breaking Bad. It's not really set up, I don't think, my personal opinion would be that it's not really set up to be the most satisfying if you watch them in chronological order. But there is a way to play the story in that order in your head. And I think these creators have been really, really careful to make sure that whatever happens on this show, it's going to make Breaking Bad, it's either going to add angles to it or it's going to make it more satisfying on some emotional level. It's it's not going yeah. to be like one of those prequel things where you go, oh, they didn't really think about this. You know, they didn't really plan for this. I, I, I don't think they had this whole thing planned out, but I think they're experts at going back and realizing what they've already got on the board and going like, yeah. oh, you know what? If we have him say this line, it'll be it'll be a connection that, that you know, sharp-eyed viewers will catch and it will enrich these characters. Like, I already think if you watch Breaking Bad, just after what we just saw, Saul is automatically a more tragic character than he was before. Yeah, it's 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 a strange thing. Like, it, it, it recontextualizes a lot of these relationships, but... I mean, I really, I really am hoping that we get at least one or two characters from Breaking Bad before this ends. Even if it's like right at the end, you hear a ding from somebody coming into the office and then it's, you know, I want something like that. You know, we don't, we don't, I don't have to get two episodes of it. How many episodes we have left, by the way? There's four left. Yeah. Four. And the next one, I mean, they've, 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 they've spoiled that. Certain people are going to be on the show. They've said there's, right, right. you know, and I think the next episode is the one that supposedly is going to have, you know, our friends from Breaking Bad in at least a scene. But Bob Odenkirk said it's not just one scene. He Uh-oh. said it's not just a cameo. Um, so I think threading the needle of that, that's like the, the, the riskiest storytelling. That's the, in terms of prequelitis, that's the riskiest thing to do is to not just have it be a reference or a nod, but to have it be like actual scenes. But think about the Saul we now know. Mm-hmm. Seeing him interact with, say, Walt or Jesse is going to feel so different. I, I, I want to see them take advantage of it with the actual actors in, in real time and not just yeah. have it be our, our new angle on Better Call Saul that makes Breaking Bad different. I want there to be at least a couple scenes that, because these writers are so clever and they they're so true to character and and yeah. I just I can't wait to see what they manage to come up with for for those characters to bounce off of each other. But yeah, I think that there's the stage is set for I mean there's Huel. Seeing Huel again makes a lot of sense. Um you know who I they haven't had on this show that I thought surely we would have seen by now just because he's a pretty good actor. Um mm. Bill Burr who played QB on um on yeah. better on breaking bad he hasn't been on this show but he seems like a great character to throw in just in, i mean imagine seeing that his energy brought to this um yeah i'd like to see almost everybody that we've had on this show come back like i enjoyed seeing uh the kettleman's come back earlier in the season so no there's lots of fun characters that can pop back up in in the yeah. in the zone of now Saul goodman is this this guy we see at the end of this episode um so let's talk a little bit about that how, how we got there the breakup and the time jump. Um, I thought that was a perfectly scripted and acted scene. That breakup was incredible. It felt it so was. real. I got so nervous. I was sitting there watching it with my wife. I looked, I started thinking like, oh my God, when the woman you love tells you something, 
she's already thought about it. Yes. And there's almost nothing you're going to do that's going to make her think about something that she didn't already think about. I'm not making any stupid comment about women oh, being stubborn yes. or anything. Yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. they don't do shit without thinking about it first. Well, in most <laughs> cases. Um, and I think that like that feeling of you're trying to dig yourself out of a hole that someone has put you in and you are, like you said, begging. Um, you know, we've seen him beg for his life. We've seen him beg for his client. We haven't really seen him beg for his heart like that before. When he yeah. said, uh, but you make me happy but I love you. Oh man, that was so, and she didn't say, I don't love you. She didn't kick him yeah. in the teeth. Oh, and she no, was no, saying, no, no, this is, this is, this just can't be. And the way she says yeah. we're bad for each other. I thought that was so, it was just too real almost, but it was, it yeah. was perfect. And I thought that Ray Seahorn and Bob Odenkirk did an amazing job of to where neither one was wrong. Neither one was cartoonish. Neither one is the bad guy. They're both, they're both right in a way. He's right in a way that if we can make this work, it's the one thing we can take out of this is our our bond. Yeah. You know, he's right about that, but she's also right to say that. Um, so what? What is that? What she yeah. says? He says, "I love you," and yeah. she says, "I love you too." But so what? Yeah. When I when I was in my twenties, I was dating this girl, and there was a moment that we had nothing crazy was said, where I hugged her, and I was like, "This is probably gonna be the last time that I hug this person." Not mm -hmm. not a. It's just something about the way that there's maybe at some point we'll figure it out, but there, there are more things happening around us than we know. Yeah. And some of it is like, you know, signals, energy, all that stuff. And when somebody is done with you, you know, not, you know, there's so a let's linger on those words, Ronald, because we've all been broken up with. It's brutal. Yeah. But when it's that's what it is, someone, brutal. if there's a breakup, yeah. nine times out of 10, someone is done with somebody who is done not with done them. with them. Yes. You know, and there's nothing worse than yeah. not being done with somebody and they're done with you. <clears throat> it's particularly like, I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't have any like capacity for violence in that space. So I don't have, like, some people will throw things and, I, you know, I, I, it all just kind of loops in my head, you know? So yeah. like when somebody that that's what it, you could feel that it's like all those times when you were like six and you told a girl you liked her and she's like, I don't like him. I like, I like this guy, <laughs> you know, that you feel all that stuff in that moment, that like desperation that you have to kind of figure out, you know, how you can make it work. Um, and you're right. There is something about a woman's i think i think when it comes to women and decisions there's a lot more that goes into that that, that process because there's there's like a a level of protection that they have to create for themselves that we don't have to consider right i don't consider when i go to a place and you know that somebody's gonna harass me or something these are all things that women have to consider like physical, mental, all this stuff to be productive in the world, protecting those like things. Our, our shitty world requires women to be a bit yes. more self-contained than, than, yes. than is fair, than, than they need to yes. be. Yes. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a thing that we don't have to worry about. And, and the fact that somebody has to be like, I want my peace, but I also want to be physically okay. I want to be mentally okay so that I can be productive is something that I don't consider. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the same way. 
Right. And the fact that Kim made that decision means that it was in her head for a while. And when she made that decision, you know, that the moment when he sees what's happening, he goes in the room and all the stuff's packed. Oof. It's so real to him. It's like, oh, she was so real. like, if I got here later, would she have been gone? I don't think she would have left because she's standing there smoking the cigarette. She's expecting yeah. him to come home. But um, I saw where Ray Seahorn pointed out that in that moment, she's smoking the cigarette outside again. They used to smoke mm. on the balcony. They started right. smoking in the apartment. When they were planning all this stuff with Howard, she said, yeah. notice the apartment got messier. We were smoking inside. She said, Jimmy comes home. She's back to smoking outside again. She's trying. She, for one thing, she doesn't want to be in that living room anymore. Yeah. Anymore. But also, it's like she's already starting to divide up her life a little bit more. And again, it's not like a cold-hearted thing at all. It's just no, that no, she no. knows, she's thought it through, she's smart enough to see that they can't be, that she, yeah. well, for one thing, maybe that is a little bit of like, you know, protecting yourself. She can't continue. Mm -hmm. She can't trust that this won't get worse and worse and worse. And we can see that she's not wrong. Like we know yeah. that like what Jimmy's capable of and everything because of Saul, but also it's, it's a good dramatic reason to say, well, now the stage is set for him to become this other guy. And that's yeah. why that time jump is so brutal. And so, I mean, honestly, one of the best edits, honestly, that I've ever seen in anything because of that's how much great. it conveyed to me. I w I've never been more sad and excited at the same time to see s where a story is going because I now yeah. feel incredibly sorry for Saul Goodman in this strange way. Like this is a, a like he has, he's like a, he's like a clown. <laughs> <laughs> in yeah. a way he's but he he's made himself into that cartoon that i've been saying these characters haven't been but we know that's yeah. not really him and i think the show's ultimate goal is going to be teasing that idea of do is there hope for redemption or getting yeah. your mojo back or just getting back to humanity after everything that he's done but definitely kim yeah. not being in his life it makes a lot of sense that it sets the stage for all of his flashy impulses all of his shallow thoughts all of his let's do it this way he's almost now he's he doesn't have that better part of himself anymore um yeah and i think that's for sure that's really interesting and the way bob odenkirk plays that it's like saul is still very funny his dialogue is still really funny he, the way he rat tats yeah. off all that shit on his bluetooth it's hilarious but it's also just i talk about mike not having a soul he, he's you know there's no soul yeah. in saul <laughs> and then and then when you see the transaction with the woman you know it's very cold very like get something at the the breakfast bar which is essentially just a bowl of nutrigrain bars just like he could be really w terrible about it, and he yeah. was just transactional. It just yeah. feels very transactional. And he that, puts on his Bluetooth before he puts on anything else in the morning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and taking showers with a Bluetooth headset is just incredibly funny, man. And also, did you see when he combed over his hair that his hair, the hair on his head looked like the hair that you pull out of a drain when you're snaking yeah. it? Yeah. And I wonder how much is that him just being a guy who's trying to hide his bald head, and how much is that Jimmy knowing... Saul Goodman would have a comb over. And I still yes. don't know. I think we're going to find a little bit out more about how much of a performance that is. But yeah. I did think, like, he's gross now. <laughs> he's full-on gross. Yeah. His, 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 his house is very gaudy, like, you know, Versace stuff. It just, the, the patterns and it just, uh, marble columns. It's just very sleazy, you mm -hmm. know. It's just he's buying into this, this Saul Goodman character. Like, you know, it was... He was, we were watching the introductory stuff for the first couple of seasons. He's full on, almost Scarface level 
Saul Goodman, which yeah. I'm really enjoying. I'm really enjoying, but also very sad, like you said. Let's see what happens. Any other thoughts before we uh, hand this over to your lovely wife? I I want to say that I love my wife, and yeah. <laughs> uh, and and you know I I love to see just as much as I love watching it. I love to see her reactions as a as a lawyer. Yeah, processing this sleaziness and. God, I love it. You know, I, she doesn't know how much I admire, you know, just asking her about how this stuff would go in a real setting. And she really gives me context. So, like, you know, I, it's almost like I have a commentator sort of notes, you know, as, as I'm going through it. So, like, you know, I, I'd say this has been a really cool experience and, and getting ideas from you about it and, you know, Talking to you about it as well as talking to her has been really fun to experience Better Call Saul. So. Yeah, Ronald, if people like the way we talk to each other, they get to hear a lot more of that on, on so. our other show, Movie Schmovie, which is almost weekly. Um, yeah. And we've been doing it for a decade. So, yeah, yeah. Pop over to Movie Schmovie. Where can they find that? Uh, <laughs> movie um, or youtube.com slash movie movie podcast. It's there. We have clips. We have full episodes. We have Marvel talk. We have, we cover festivals. Mm-hmm. We cover festivals. Tribeca, South by Southwest, you name it. Movie movie has been there. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'd say give it a listen. All right, man. Well, it's always a pleasure. And uh, go get your wife. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. <laughs> All right, man, bye. Thanks for joining me, Aaron. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I I know we just had Ronald on, and I guess you guys did the parent tag team thing. How's, how's baby, baby Z doing? <laughs> She's good. She's... I guess she's still asleep. She was asleep when I handed her off to Ronald, but sometimes she, <laughs> once she gets to Ronald, she, she wakes back up again. But Baby Z is safe with Baby Ron right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One of the big topics I want to just jump into is, you know, we've seen the death of, uh, of Nacho. We've seen the death of Lalo. We've seen the death of Howard. I think this week we found out that another major presence on the show is gone, and that's HHM. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I wasn't surprised by it, to be completely honest. I think once one, I mean, in their minds, it's the thought is that two of the partners died by suicide. So um, I, I don't, I don't see why or how they could continue on. I don't know who would, who would trust to come to that, um, come to that firm and say, hey, I want to work here when they have such kind of a tragic story to their found, to their um to their partners. So Well right. And on top um, of that, it's like you've got there's no Hamlin, there's no McGill. So it's like right. there's an interesting thing going on there with the legacy, the reputation. But I right. don't know, t- to me just Bruckner partners taking up half of a floor somewhere just sounds so diminished. And and the other part of that is, and you even see Jimmy react to this in some way, um, it's like the death of the McGill name in a way. Like the, the, the McGill name has been so strong on this on this edifice and now that's gone. And Jimmy's not Jimmy McGill anymore either. He's Saul Goodman. Right. So it's like he, he really helped kill the firm and his family name. He absolutely did. And that news comes from 
uh, a, 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 I don't know, an appropriate source, uh, Rich Schweikert, who is sort of outside the HHM family, but a character we've we've had on the show for a long time. And he, uh, not only do we find out from him that that the firm is going down, but also he kind of has this moment of correcting himself when he calls Jimmy, Jimmy. He then says, oh, I mean, Saul. That was the final, I think that was really the end of the McGill, so. Since this might be the last time we see him, um, seems like a good time to uh, call out just how good the actor Dennis Boutsikaris has been as uh, Rich Schweikert. Yes, yes, yes. I've believed him in every scene he's been in since the beginning of the show. He seems so together. He seems yeah. so polished. He seems so smart. He seems so mm -hmm. like, but quietly brutal in a way, but I don't know, there's just something about that performance. There's something so authoritative about that guy. And I, I was really glad we got to see got to see him again. I, I don't know why we would need to see him more, you know, that, now that the story's kind of moving past this era of the show. But it was a, I felt like Howard's tribute there at HHM was was a, a way to say goodbye to a, a huge uh, through line that we've had on the show since the beginning. I thought it was interesting that he was so likable, even though he was representing this, the shady uh, retirement home. Um, and I think that, um, which kind of is, is a lawyer thing too, to be completely honest. You just, it is what it is. That's just how situations happen. Sometimes you, sometimes you represent the good guy. Sometimes you represent the quote unquote bad guy, but um, he was really likable. And um, I, I really kind of appreciate him kind of just, just being there and just, it was, it was kind of like the, the, like the tying things up, the who's who's of the, of the lawyer um, industry in that, in that area. And, um, and it was just, it was interesting just to kind of see how they were all responding and reacting. Cause I mean, they had to be in some kind of shock. I mean, you have all these pictures of Howard around, which he looks great in all of them, right? He's like, he's like doing marathons and, you know, he's, he's in his best shape ever. And to think that this man um, in their eyes could have committed suicide um, and, you know, wasn't this this fit person that they all kind of thought that he was um, and that kind of that image being destroyed. Um, and, but to have all these images all over the place that kind of showed him in the opposite, uh, in the opposite direction. I think that was, I don't know. It was, it was, it was really sad. I mean, I think I said before, I did not dislike Howard and for him to go out this way, it was just, it was it was it was devastating, and it's devastating that his reputation had to go out the same way too. So, right. Well, I mean, there's this you know. whole thing of like, um, kind of what you're saying. Like, it makes everybody feel vulnerable. I mean, again, yeah. mental illness is 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 a tragedy, and people can put on appearances unbelievably well. Right. So that's that's not to say that that's not true to right. life in its own way. But, but like, we know. <laughs> right, right. We know. We know right. that if they're all going, well, how, trying to make this add up and having a hard time doing it, we know why, right. you know. Right. But um, I do think that it sort of shakes people up when somebody is gone like that and and seemingly by their own hand and seemingly having all of this trouble. And mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned the pictures. I believe most of those came from the actor Patrick Fabian's Instagram. I know I recognized one of them. He's always posted pictures of himself <laughs> out like hiking and stuff. And I heard where they said that they thought about recreating photos and then they ended up they saying didn't. like, like it would be corny looking compared to like- I hate just, recreated photos. <laughs> okay, why, why is that? Why are they so bad at faking photos? I don't like, know. Like, why when they show, like, a picture of someone's family that you need to see, if it's, like, 
if if it can't be, I mean, sometimes they they will use a photo of someone from life. So it's like, right. if if I'm playing a character and and they need my teen self, they might use my teen picture. But they still usually will like Photoshop in a background. And if they ever have to use the actors, it's like, why don't they just stage and take a picture? So often they seem to do the most <laughs> the most amateurish Photoshop. That is Photoshop always job. my question. Like taking a picture is not expensive like i don't understand why why a show can be absolutely beautiful and amazing and then they have this recreated photo that i'm like they could have just taken i don't i don't know why <laughs> they 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 do they they put that at the bottom shelf they're just like okay we don't have to worry about that we're all just kind of photoshop some faces on people and kind of put <laughs> glue things together so i i'm i appreciate that they actually use pictures from his instagram or actual pictures of him because it made it made it feel authentic because they mm -hmm. were real pictures and you know the excitement that somebody would feel after you know on a bike ride or whatever if he was doing some kind of um triathlon or marathon or something like that the kind of it really captured that. So the fact that they were actually were, I appreciate that because they were good pictures. Mm -hmm. um, because like I said, recreative photos are usually so bad. I don't know why, but they typically are. And it was nice to see him like happy and kind of still be there, even though he, because I couldn't have had those kind of pictures for Chuck. Like, you know what I mean? It just, it just, they wouldn't have existed. So right. um, yeah, I think I also thought it was interesting how much he actually told his wife. Um, about what was going on with him and Jimmy. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was interesting that with everything, like it seemed like they barely had a relationship, but she was aware, I guess it, it might've been a situation where, where he was talking and she was just listening, you know, and you just weren't aware of um, how much um, she was taking in, but she was really taking it all in. So I appreciated her kind of fighting for him at the end, even though it was obvious that they were going through a lot in their relationship. So another longtime character who had a big presence in this moment without really saying much was uh, Clifford Maine. Yeah, he was so heartbroken. Yeah. And like he did see enough of what Jimmy and Kim wanted him to see. So he does have like pieces of the puzzle in his head and he is thinking this is awful, but it doesn't surprise him as much as it would have had they not utilized him the way that they did. So, I mean, right. he's someone who clearly is, I mean, he ends, I believe he ends up leaving the scene. He says, uh, uh, Howard's sister's here somewhere. I'm going to find her. You know, like he seems like he had much more of a personal connection, personal connection and was more felt a little guilty maybe that he didn't do more to help Howard. I mean, that's right. the awful thing about Jimmy and Kim's scheme is all this. This is the scene where you really see the collateral damage of what they did. The firm has been taken down. Clifford Maine looks stricken. And then Cheryl, the, 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 the estranged wife is just, you know, what she's experiencing is, is hell. Uh, because right. not just of what they did before this scene, but because of what Kim says to her in this scene, um, that lie she tells about Howard snorting coke at the office. And then when you see that, the, just the way that Kim, that, that con man trick of, it feels like Cheryl dragged that out of her. Like she makes it so that when she tells the story, it's like, well, okay, I'll tell you what I know. Um, and then she sticks the dagger in and twists it by saying, but you would have known you're his wife or whatever uh. that like she knows they were estranged. So she know that that's going to like she knows that Cheryl's guilt is going to take over in that moment and not her suspicion, you know. That was a hard scene to watch. I mean, to see his wife just kind of fall apart and, you know, someone that and coming from someone that she she trusts way more, you know, way more than she could ever trust Jimmy and stuff like that. So somebody that would know that. um that um, 
if Howard had some things, she, it, it, it wouldn't be, it's not, she's not someone out of left field. Like, you know, Jimmy had, you know, a vendetta against, um, against Howard and, and it just didn't, she, she trusted her and you can see her kind of heart just kind of break like, well, you know, I might be, I might be adding more to it, but like, you know, maybe these times that I've been distanced from him, have I really been paying attention to what he's been doing? Have I really been, um, you know, could I, could I have worked on it more? What am I part of this? Am I part of the problem? You know what I mean? It's just to kind of know that, that it was right there. It could have possibly been right there in her house and she didn't see it. It's, you know, it was really devastating to watch her kind of fall apart on that. And then, um, and then um, Maine, like um, at Bagley, at Bagley du- Jr., his, how his face just the whole time while he's just like, I don't want to confirm everything that I, I don't want to tell my story. Like, let's right. go ahead and just leave this alone. Just leave this alone. Um, you know, all of that was just kind of completely heartbreaking to kind of, again, because us as the audience also knowing that none of this is true, you know? Right. So it's that final nail in like really destroying Howard's reputation. So. Right. I think that's it is that it's the decimation. You know, we, the last time we talked, it was the episode right before we saw the plan go into fruition. So it's like, like the unraveling of Howard that happens over that episode. And then last week, you know, thrown into a hole next to Lalo. uh, Uh. And, and then this week that, you know, the HHM is gone. And now the wife is hearing this news about Howard that is seemingly, probably privately going to be verified by Clifford Maine, you know, saying to her, well, I do think Howard had problems that we didn't know about. And I mean, it's, it makes Jimmy and Kim's scheme seem that much more brilliant. It's more, it's more like devilish in a way, but yeah, you're right. It is. And I I think that's the moment I kind of read into that, that that's the moment when Kim can't live with herself. Like out, yeah. uh, it's on the way out from that 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 she sort of like they take their separate cars. That kiss that she gives Jimmy in the in the parking deck is definitely right. a kiss goodbye. Right after he says this is over, it's you know yeah. it's finally over and stuff. So the way that Kim digs in is just still so much. It's so powerful because even Jimmy and I and I said this before. I think last time we talked, even Jimmy doesn't go as far as Kim sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and for her to realize like. When I'm with him, I don't know if it's that I don't have a problem with going this far, but I can go this far. You know what I mean? Like I can really, I can move this far. I can do all of this. When, when these, when, when Jim and Kim are together, when those puzzle pieces are together, it's just that he can take, she can take it to that extra level. And I think that I've never, I've never, until this episode, I've never seen it like really come off like it scares her a little bit. And I think right. this was the first time I've saw like she it really it does affect her. And I and because it always came off like she just was, you know, with that scene with Lalo, when she was just like where Jimmy was that time. And she just came up with a story just like that of, you know, how, you know, how Jimmy was trying to make his way back to him and all this kind of it was just a lot like it's and for this to be the first time that we actually see like it actually affects her. and She just can't take it anymore. Right. I mean, you, you, I mean, I'm sure there would have been some level of a breaking point with her at right. some point. I just don't, I don't know if it quite would have happened as quickly for her right. without feeling that, like too good at this, kind of what you said. Right. And she says in their breakup scene that, you know, I mean, that devastating line where she says, the reason I didn't tell you that Lalo wasn't dead. I mean, and I was wondering where the payoff for that really was, because we didn't really get a huge payoff for there being this kind of tangled story around who knew Lalo was alive. But in that moment, right. it becomes apparent why they did it the way they did it, because it's about Kim 
confessing her reasons. It's kind of like on Breaking Bad when Walter White confesses to Skylar at the end, well, I did it for me. Like, right. I, like I didn't do it for my family. I did it for me. And in that moment, Kim says, oh, I didn't want to tell you Lala was alive because I knew you would pull the plug. You know, in some ways, she knows Jimmy is, whether he's more squeamish or just a little more uh, circumspect or maybe even a little bit more uh, human or something inside, you know. Right. Like, she said, uh, I didn't want you to pull the plug because I was having too much fun. And that's just, I mean, we knew that was happening before, but to see her know it and say it, right. you can feel that that's what's on Kim's, that's the weight that's that's pushing her down in that moment, is that feeling that a lot of this happened because she was just getting her kicks. Yeah. And it always looks like Jimmy is scared, but he never, but he's okay. Like he's, when she goes that far, he's always in shock. <laughs> he's always right. in shock. And so it's just, you know, and this is Jimmy who's, you know, he's, you know, could be the the worst of the worst sometimes, some people could say. But he sees her kind of go into these spaces. And um, the fact that she knows that she can go that far and she knows that he's the one that it would have to be his um his kind of morality, like he's going to have to be the one that kind of comes into it and says that it, we can't do this anymore. Um, I think, you know, I actually commend her for kind of, you know, ending that kind of relationship because she knows how far it could go, you know? Right. Even though it's sad to kind of see them see this relationship kind of end. And we, you know, we know how things go for, for Jimmy in the future and us kind of, and maybe at the very end, we'll find out what's going on with Kim, but yeah. I'd be shocked if we don't see her again, but I don't know what that means, where in the timeline that happens. Yeah. Um, I do think, though, that, yes, what we're seeing at the end of this this relationship is mm -hmm. he comes in so hot when he finds out that she, she uh, you know, resigned from the bar or, or 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 whatever the proper phrasing for that is but that she right. you know is no longer going to practice law that's her answer to like i can start to clean myself up i can make myself pay for this i can punish myself she's already right. like kim we know kim's not going to like then change her mind uh she's already thought through this through she knows jimmy's going to react badly she does feel bad for him uh she does right. love him um but it doesn't seem like that matters in the wake of what they did. And and he's just enough of a situational person to believe, no, we can start from this moment and we can we can not ever have to do anything this bad again, but we can we can be with each other. And she, you know, what she says, we're bad for each other. When we're together, people suffer. Um, right. It's kind of what we've been saying watching the show all along, but it's interesting. I love it when, when it gets to that point on a show where the conversation about the show becomes the text of the show. And it's usually really good writing when the characters say things that sound like what you say when you're talking about the show. You know what I mean? Right. Like I've heard people say that exact thing. Oh, I like them both, but together they're just, they, they make each other worse. Um, and, you know, Kim sees it and Jimmy, I don't know that it's not that he doesn't see it. I just think he, he's so, he's ready from the beginning to like, like negotiate and weasel and figure out how we can cope with this. And the thing is, is that I think he probably knows he will, there'll will be, there'll never be another Kim, which means right. there'll probably never be a relationship like this again. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So this person knows all of your, you know, skeletons. This is a person that if there is an issue, there's a problem, they know how to come with you, how to fix it. They know how to 
work like you know work together and kind of pull it all together and for somebody that's not going to change their ways right <laughs> um it's better to have someone around you that knows that knows who you really are and um you don't have to kind of go through the phase of like you know learning who this person is can you trust them with this information can you trust them with that they have been to the bottom they have been they've seen it all and he knows that he'll never see have another person like that again and so it's just like the ending of you know, you know, his most important relationship, you know, you know, probably since like his brother, if not more important, you know, so um, it's really, it's really um, sad, but he knows that this is kind of the end of that, that chapter into that, that book, probably when it comes to love, like that's it, you know, and it's, it's nice to have that person that you can come to and just kind of tell them everything and it won't scare them off. And especially with somebody in a, in a world that Jimmy's in, you know, he have somebody that he can kind of tell everything to. Um, he doesn't have, he won't have that anymore. Right. And it, but you're right. It is interesting that even, you know, from the time the scheme has been going, he's been the one who seems the most likely to, to say, Oh, let's, Let's rethink this. Well, we don't have to do right. this this way. Let's let's pull the plug. And again, that's what she says to him is, I think you would have pulled the plug and I didn't want that to happen. Um, and also, you know, she does know that his nature would be to try to protect her, that that would be whether right. she needs saving or not. I think she's even said previously on the show that you don't save me, I save me. Um, right. And again, that's very much what she does in this episode is she, she, she saves what she can of her right. to her own specifications. Um, I still think that, uh, you know, just the coming home, not just to find out that your significant other has, has already decided you're done, but the bags are being packed. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard not to feel, it's hard not to feel for Jimmy because he's the one back on his heels in that moment, but we can see it on Kim's face too, that like, you know, we know that like when the show started, she was really trying to make a go of it, uh, do things the right way. Um, but you're right. They've always had this bond. Like right. even from the beginning, she liked that side of him. She was amused by that side of him that was willing to kind of bend the rules. And, uh, yeah. you know, they're like movie buddies and uh, they're like right. best friends. And, and you're 100% exactly. correct. There's no one else in Jimmy's life that we've seen that comes close to that. Like the closest thing he has is his uh, old like partner in crime, Marco, who right. dies in the first right. season as well. <laughs> Exactly. So this is it. Like, it's like, it's almost like the last bit of his heart is gone. So it's just like, um, so now we, now he's fully into, I mean, even when you see the transition from him being, um, the Saul Goodman that we learned in Breaking Bad to the Saul Goodman, uh, I'm sorry, the Saul Goodman that we learned in, um, and Better Call Saul to the Saul Goodman that we're learning um, that we already knew in Breaking Bad. Like we're seeing that transition right here. Yeah. Um, so it's just like that last bit of his of his heart, the last, the those kind of last lines that kind of still made him uh, a, a little bit more human. Mm-hmm. It's like that was that's gone now, and now it's just he's all Saul now. He's you know. Yeah. The Jimmy's name. Gone. The name is gone. Like yeah. not not just his brother, but the firm. Uh, yeah. Not just the firm, but his 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 brother's partner. You know, like everything. Right. He's kind of like all the stuff that you would have thought maybe was kind of his mission in the beginning right. was to take all this down, and he he kind of burned it all down without necessarily meaning to. And I do think the writers were very shrewd to make Kim such an important part of that. So much so that you could almost say like we've been watching Kim's story in some moments up more than we've been watching Jimmy's story. But now that yeah. she's gone, we're left with 
uh, we're left with Saul. And we, we, we right. you know, if there has been this talk back and forth about like, well, how much was Jimmy Saul all along? And what does it mean to be Saul if it's an act? And then we see that at this point, it, it's like, if there's nobody that you're going home and sharing yourself with, it doesn't right. matter if that's not the real you. It doesn't matter if he's sitting at a desk playing the part of Saul Goodman. If nobody right. sees Jimmy McGill anymore, then that's all that he is. And we see that at home. He's acting pretty much like Saul at home, all you know? Yeah. She was the last person to call him Jimmy. Like, that's right. it. That's it's it's done. <laughs> we kind of knew it was coming. And and I think that what people thought from the beginning, the question of if Kim was going to die or not was so was right. so prevalent in people's minds. I knew she wasn't going to die. I mean, I mean, I guess I guess it can't decide now, but I think it's safe to say this. But I knew she wasn't going to die. I knew I knew it wasn't. To be honest, I almost thought that would have been too easy if they just would have killed her off, you know, Um I think it needed to be harder than that. I think, you know, I think Jimmy, them not being together because she's dead is one thing, but for her, them not being together and she's still out there in the world, knowing that this is the person that knows him completely. I think that it needed to be that hard for him to be who he is, if that makes sense. No, it did. And also that I I agree with you about Kim dying. I didn't think that it was off the table because I didn't think these writers wouldn't think of a way to do something in a way that would be creative, you know? Like I knew that they could do it. But this notion that she has to die because that's the only explanation for why she's not in Jimmy's life, that always seems strange to me. And then as she became this beloved character, um, and you know, a female lead on a show like this that doesn't have really any other prominent female characters, Mm -hmm. I just feel like not that the show's goal is to be PC. I just felt like these people are smart. There's too many women on the creative team of the show. That's a cheap, cliched thing to do, to kill the female lead, to develop the male lead character. And I was just Absolutely. thinking, like, I think this show's going to know better than that. I think that Ray Seahorn was a find. I think she's been great in this part. They've given her more and more to do. It just seemed like it would be a real... A real uh, like kind of a lame move to to use yeah. her as cannon fodder in that way. And that's why sliding Howard into that spot was really clever because he he's a little bit of, you know, he wasn't, like I said before, wasn't deserving of this either. So you don't need it to right. be Kim for it to be like, oh, here's a person who should never have been in the same room with Lalo. And, and they were. Um, yeah. And that's Jimmy's and Kim's fault, you know. Right. And it doesn't matter that they didn't expect it. Uh, it's just that, this is the consequence. And that's why Mike last week was so, I mean, it, funny to me in a kind of grim way that he's just kind of looking at him like, you, you fucking <laughs> numb nuts. <laughs> like, look at you two. You know, and you could tell he was like, uh, we were saying he really was, disappointed. Kind of, was kind of in dad mode. Yeah, not mad, yes, just disappointed. Was. I mean, the fact that they were sitting on the bed and mm-hmm. he's like standing over them. I mean, if that's not a parent mode kind of situation where, you know, you're getting grounded, you're in trouble, you know, you know, go go to work and come straight home. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's just like, you know, it really, you know, it really had that feeling because it's just that it it was so unnecessary. And it was and it was it was just for it in some respects, it was like for their enjoyment for a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't it was and then, you know, of course, like it went further than they wanted it to, but all this cleanup wasn't necessary. So well, you know, as a parent, there are times where someone says I didn't mean for that to happen or I didn't know that would yeah. happen. And you're like, I'm 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 compassionate for you. I'm empathetic that you 
didn't mean for this bad thing to happen, but that's the reason why you don't do the things you're not supposed to do. It's not because all the exactly. things you're not supposed to do are horrible. It's just that right. if you start introducing wild elements into a situation that you can't control, then you have to look at, well, who left the door open? You know, like right. who, 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 who made this possible for this to even happen? And for Howard to basically have them nailed when he came over there and he was saying like, I know you guys did this. I mean, he's he was 100% right in a way. I right. mean, he didn't know exactly how they pulled it off. But he knew they had done it. Um, you know, there he was the only one. I mean, obviously he's the one at the center of it, but it it really did uh I keep thinking about that thing that Mike said to him when he was like, just stick to the story you were already telling. Like just keep telling the lie yeah. that you that you created about about this man. Um and I feel like Mike this week was, you know, he was a little bit under the weight of this this toll too. Um and and you know, he was the other person kind of having to really the person doing the the most literal cleanup of the whole yeah. mess was Mike. Um, and we've just been rewatching the first season and seeing Mike's kind of the way they brought him into this show and the, his origin story. I really thought about that with Lalo's, I mean, not with Lalo, with Nacho's dad, how like yeah. the there's a parallel between these two men having lost sons. Um, and Mike, yeah. again, Mike knows that. He doesn't, you know, as we've said before about Mike, he doesn't say more than he has to, but, um, uh, you know, he didn't explain himself he did go over there maybe thinking he's different from the men that he works with and Nacho's dad kind of made sure he knows, no, you're not, you're not any different. You know, all these people who right. think they have a code, Kim, Jimmy, Mike, they think they have some way, some system by which they're not doing the worst possible thing. And, you know, they kind of need to be, it's a rude awakening that, that, that they need to have that, that, you know, they're not better than the, than the people they're working with. Right. I mean, the fact that um, Nacho's dad was like, you know, they talked about justice and revenge, you know, and we know that Mike got, quote unquote, justice over the men that killed that killed his son. So it's just like he's kind of letting him know where, you know, even him saying, even though he may not know all of Mike's story, just letting him know we're not the same. Like, I don't want I don't want this kind of revenge that you got that you're that you're speaking of this is this that's this this your life that's not my life you know my son is dead like that's yeah that's what i wanted i wanted my son to be here with me and this you know um and for mike that wasn't the i mean of course mike would have preferred to have his son but he thought that he had to go get justice for the people right. that um you know that were the cause of his son's death so it's it's you know super sad you know yeah, a lot of sadness. Uh, yeah. But I mean, just across the board, everybody's dealing with some some real stuff. And, you know, even yeah. Jimmy, as we've said many times, that he's kind of trying to move on. You can tell that he's like, I think for him, it really is about Kim. Like, I think that yeah. if you look at the last episode with with that scene with, you know, with Mike and everything and then uh, the, you know, the, the aftermath of the, the, the Lalo invasion and everything, it really does seem like Kim is deep inside herself. And Jimmy is kind of in that worry mode. Like he's looking at Kim, he's looking at himself. Like he's thinking about those externals of like, we got to get through this. And that whole thing he says yeah. this week about, you know, there'll come a day where we won't, you'll realize you didn't think about it. And then you'll realize you really can forget. And I don't think he's wrong about getting by, you know, but right. he's, wrong, he's wrong in the sense that necessarily it's the right thing to do, to let yourself right. off the hook for something like that. I mean, I know we all probably have something that's the worst thing we've done. 
uh, I mean, everybody has something that's the worst thing they've done. But I mean, you know, right. some of us have some pretty some pretty <laughs> bad Dark things thing, we've yeah. done or said. Uh, and you know that you'll never get away from that. Like you know that right. like you may make yourself feel better, you may be forgiven, you may learn, you may grow. But if you really get down to it, you know the type of person you are based on the things you've done. And right. um, yeah, that's the thing that like Kim's trying to get away from is hiding from hiding from what she's done by by being happy in her life. Whereas Jimmy, we do think, and I don't think he's a shallow person at all, but I do think he's, no. I do think he's like, I, when I said situational, I really do think that's where he's, that's like the, the beauty and the tragedy of him is that he really is able to say, okay, cut, cut bait. Let, let's just, let's just, you know, let's do what we can to get past this and then live the best life we can. Um, right. Which again, I think we all do that on some level with that stuff. It's just, it's an interesting Definitely. thing because we don't hate these people and we don't, we don't like, if you're standing there saying, oh, these people are so horrible, then maybe you are, I mean, it is a show about death and, you know, so you are judging them a little bit, but I mean, it's almost like that's where Kim comes from. I kind of felt like when she was backing away from her, her legal career too, she's basically saying like, who am I to, this is literally a situation where I'm defining judgment of people. Yeah. Uh, who am I to stand here and, and stand above other people and, and, you know, help coordinate judgment. Yeah. And, and you take an oath when you become a lawyer, you know, and yeah. her actions as of late do not fall in line <laughs> with that oath. And I think she, and I think, and I think that's what's so, you know, what's so great about Kim is that she has kind of these two extremes to her her personality, you know, she's very much, uh, you know, fight for the little guy, justice person, and then kind of be involved in the situation that has so many, you know, shady characters and kind of all these people that are, um, that she, that she fit into, to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so, so for her to kind of look at herself as, um, you know, uh, an agent of the court and just be like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing what I, what I said I was going to do. This is, even if I'm doing it in, in person and people aren't aware of kind of my, my personal life and how this is, I know that this is not what, this is not what I signed up for. I, or, or I signed up for something and I'm not fulfilling what I'm supposed to be doing. So it's, it, I mean, I admire her in that, in that respect that she actually was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not this person. This is, I need to, I need to leave this because I'm not the right person for this, even though she's incredible at her job. So right. I know that's the thing. Um, Jimmy's right. That she's got these people that maybe she can help better than anybody else can. Right. But it's like, how seriously do you take an oath that you've taken? And I think that like, I mean, it's, it's a fun, it's a, it's a little bit of a, it's hard to get your head around yeah. it that like you can lie. Like, Oh, I can just lie. I can just, I mean, you mean I can give an oath and lie? And then yeah. what does that mean? And there's going to be a person for whom that means nothing. And there's right. going to be a person for whom that means everything. And and we yes. run into that in all walks of life. It's like people for whom being squirrely is, is the way they work and they don't care yeah. what you think, you know? And then there's other people who it doesn't matter if anybody knows but themselves, they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be able to let, let themselves off the hook, like I said. Yeah. Has that ever, I mean, like, like that just seemed crazy to me. I mean, I, I enjoyed that scene in the courtroom so much. I thought the guy who played the judge, uh, Air Gross is his name. He's like an 80s actor who was in a bunch of things. It's always funny to see these people who played young guys in the 80s that are now like little chubby, bald guys. Um, <laughs> but I thought that judge, there's something, you know, every now, it's like Schweikart as the lawyer. Like there's something right. about that performance of that judge that just felt so 
true because I've been in a court a couple times, not as not as a person who's on trial, but I've you know been on a jury, um, and uh, you know judges do have that. They keep it kind of like there's a there's a there's a there's a hardness, but there's a I don't know. There's just a right. general they tone feel- that they're maintaining that's very like all right, what's going on here? And like, they actually, the weight on them, I mean, that's another job where it's like, you could be a judge who's got no ethics whatsoever and just be fine with yourself. But like, yeah. if you're really doing that job correctly, um, you know, even on the casual, even in your casual understanding of the law, you might say, well, tipping the scales because you know someone's innocent. Like if you're a lawyer and you 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 tip things one way or the other because you know you're getting the the right outcome. A lot of people would be right. fine with that, but some people would just say, "No, we're never, we're not going to do this this way." And I, even again in that first season of the show, you see Jimmy like with the Kettlemans and with different people. He's struggling right. to say, uh, "No, we need to do this the right way." I'm your lawyer. We're going to turn this money in. We're going to, you know what I mean? He's tr- struggling to do it, but you also see that like people know he's not that guy. Right. And there's a moment in that first season where uh, Mike asks Jimmy to dump. Jimmy calls it a dump and bump. Or bump and dump uh, to dump the coffee on the on the cop that's asking Mike about what happened back in uh, you know back east, and um, and he Mike asks him to do it, and and Jimmy's like, what you want me to you know in this situation as your lawyer, you want me to do this shady thing? I'm not going to do it. And then Jimmy actually ends up doing it. And then in the car afterwards, <laughs> he says to Mike, but it's Jimmy. I mean, it's one of those moments of acting where Bob Odenkirk just does something so unique with this character. Jimmy seems a little hurt when they get to the car and he says in this soft, almost like childlike way, he says, how did you, how did you know I would do that? And Mike's like, yeah. you know, kind of like, what do you mean? How did I know? But like, you see that Jimmy doesn't, it's like he knows that he's that guy, but he doesn't want people to see that he's, he doesn't want it to be obvious. He doesn't want it to stand right. out. And I, yeah, I, I think a lot about like, like, and also lawyers being crooked or dishonest is such a, it's almost just like a joke. It's like a dinner party joke at this point. Yeah, that it you, is. It, it, but you have to have lawyers who aren't that way. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think this is a really interesting topic. The idea of ethics, private ethics. Um, if you don't have, yeah. a, like, again, I always believe there's some point where it's you and you. And if you can't stand by you, then you've got nothing, you know. And And I think that we live in a world that doesn't value ethics <laughs> or the appearance yeah, I, of ethics. <laughs> I absolutely agree. I think with that, with the scene with the judge, it was funny. I was sitting there watching it and I was just like, well, there's no way he's going to let her, you know, um, withdraw you know, from the case, removed, withdraw from the case. Like there's no way. And then, and then she says that she's already spoken to the bar. It's like, Oh, that's how you do it. Like yeah. that's the, that, that was going to be the only way that it was going to happen. Um, and my brain didn't even go that far. I think that's, what was so crazy about it. I just didn't think of it as an ethical issue that she was just like, I can't do this anymore. Um, so the fact that she did that, I mean, it's funny how Jimmy is surrounded by these people. I mean, from his brother to Kim, of these people that really have this idea of, you know, um, of what the law is and who should be practicing the law. And, um, and these are the two people that he was kind of the closest to. And he is right there in the middle, just like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just keep on going, even though he is exactly the person that, um, I think to both of them really, that really shouldn't be practicing the law, you know? Um, so it's really interesting to kind of see the, the two of them hold this, that oath and, um, 
the study and practice to such a high regard. And Jimmy, just like, you know, he knows that this is something that he does well. He, and I mean, he doesn't do it the most ethical way. He doesn't do it. Um, you know, you see him, you know, in the later scenes where he's putting the, the, the neck brace on the man's neck and, you know, you see his office do this decline from the, you know, the nice sign to the, you know, the better call Saul and kind of becoming, uh, you know, who, who we come to know. Um, so it's just for this man to kind of know that he does this job well and um, can to kind of take advantage of it and, and knows where the holes are. And just, you know, it's, it's interesting that his, the two people that he was kind of the closest to were the complete opposite when it came to practicing the law. And, you know, it's an interesting thing that the show mucks around in too, because even the show, it knows that we're having fun. Like when you right. say that about Jimmy putting the the neck brace on the guy, it's like you get a little chuckle out of that. You get a little charge right. out of seeing him be Saul, you know. Um, but you also recognize that that's a defeat of those whatever those those ethics are that he was struggling to to maintain. Right. And even when he gets into elder law early on, like you see this, like oh, he's actually really good with these people. He comes in and is like, hey there, cowboy. You know, it's like he's right. he flirts with the old ladies. He shakes hands with the old guys. And he's he's kind of charming in, a, in his own kind of strange way. And you see this, you just see this other existence he could have had, where it's like not glamorous and not 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 fancy. But even in that, he was unethical because of how he got the clients to be part of that. You know what I mean? Right. Like it was, he went, he was too far. He went entirely too far into bringing those people on board in order for the um, Sandpiper case. So it's, it's funny that he was, he enjoyed, and he, he genuinely enjoyed yeah. being with them. I think he really had a good yeah. time, um, but you're not supposed to do what he did. Like that's, that's really what it kind of boiled down to. You mean just like the soliciting at the old folks home and all that? Yes. The soliciting. Yes. All of that. Actually being there. And like giving out the, the jello with the, 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 like the logo on the bottom and stuff. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I mean, you know, all of his bingo games and all the stuff that he was doing, I mean, all of that was extreme that, you know, any, any bar would say, you know, that's something to, um, that, that could be punishable. So it's like the fact that he was doing all of that to begin with. Um, and then you have a situation where you have somebody like him who actually gives up having this like really high powered, um, bank, um, you know, being being in banking law and kind of, and she goes into, you know, I really should be in the criminal law and I really should be in there with the people that, you know, it's just really, it's just really interesting to kind of see the differences and how everyone else kind of operates and how Jimmy operates. So even when he's not being that bad. <laughs> right. Well, even when, like I said, when we can agree that what he wants is to help like he does seem like he he wants to help. Like it it, it right. doesn't seem like. I mean, you see a little bit of dollar signs in his eyes when he finds out this could be a huge. Like when when Chuck right. suggests this could be a twenty million dollar settlement, the Sandpiper case. He's picturing right. that ten percent or whatever it is that would make him a millionaire. You know, um, right. and we know that that's what's going through his head, and that's and he still has theoretically he's still got Sandpiper money coming, right? I mean, he's still right. He's still kind of made by that. I mean, maybe that's what buys the McMansion. And maybe that's, yeah, that's, yeah, I, I just put that together. That maybe that is how all of that um, came to be. That that horrible, gaudy mess of a mansion that he that he ends up getting. Oh, man, that is so, it's, again, it's so funny. Ronald and I were talking about the fact that he's, he's still naked from bed and he puts on his Bluetooth before anything else. You know, it's like, that's yes. the guy that we're dealing with. 
and yeah. um, all the little things he's saying about the different cases and stuff. And poor Francesca uh, having to listen to all that <laughs> and presumably write it down and, and act on it. Right. And that's not even mentioning the woman that he wakes up with. Uh, who, uh, you know, it's not like he's monstrous to her or anything. No. It's just, it's very, very businesslike. I mean, he gave her a Nutrigrain bar. <laughs> I love that Nutri as someone who has a, a candy jar of uh, Nutrigrain bars upstairs that we grab some mornings when things are tight, like, um, I love the idea that that's being presented as, like, moral decline. Is <laughs> <laughs> but just the fact that that's, that that's what he's doing, because, you know, again, you can picture a scene, I don't even know if we got that many scenes of this, but you can picture a scene of... Of him and Kim, like, making breakfast together or breakfast, something like that. yes. Very sweet, very nice. Like, he's just putting together this this meal for Kim to, you know. Um, I'm thinking specifically of when she, like, um, broke her arm, was it? That um, mm -hmm. the situation where he was, like, putting together her breakfast and stuff like that. And now he's just, like, you know, parting gifts is a neutral grain bar. He's so. on the phone and he, like, hey, by the way, grab a bar. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I think, oh, man. The decline. Yeah, very interesting. And I, another thing I couldn't decide when I was talking to Ronald is I don't know if he has that comb over because he thinks this is the right look for the character he's playing for people or if mm. he really is just so far gone that he doesn't realize how repulsive that is. <laughs> that he's just I in think, every way. He's that repulsive. I think it's the latter. I think he's that repulsive. I think he's that. I think he's – I don't think that there's – he doesn't have that person to say, hey, that doesn't look great. Because the, even the fact that he still has kind of the hair when yeah. he's um, when he's the in the Cinnabon and he's, you know, he's still living. Um, he's still part of that person. You know what I mean? So like that horrible comb over. I mean, but I loved how how I love to kind of see him work it, though. I mean, yeah. I, I did enjoy kind of how the whole thing works. Um um, and just the perfect like swing of his head to make sure that right. it lands perfectly, uh, yeah. or how or what he considers perfectly on the other side of his head. So, <laughs> I mean, again, it's like I, part. It's so it, it, you know, it's that thing where the acting is so good, and we love Bob Odenkirk so much that right. like you do br still bring a lot of that to this character, even as as we've said, it's like even at his best, he was not above cutting corners, um, right. And and that left to his own devices, he becomes a you know a, like the worst caricature of of what a lawyer like. He's the lawyer. All those those lawyer jokes we were talking about. He's the Absolutely. he's the embodiment of that guy who and he doesn't yes. care. And it's almost like you can't no. hurt him when you're that when you're that loathsome. You you can't hurt his feelings really. Absolutely. But there's this other side of that that is. Like, we know he does have that heart and he's got that charm. And, and you know, even in this episode, they reminded us of Chuck when he says uh, that thing about, you know, that, that Howard had the respect of his brother, which is something that I never had. Right. Like, that's a little bit, we don't really hear him talk much about that. And it's almost like a, a, a plot thread that has been internalized by this character. But we've never even seen him talk to Kim right. uh, about how much Chuck hurt him. Right. You know, that last thing that Chuck said to Jimmy uh, back in season three, I think was um, the truth is you've never really mattered that much to me. Right. Like, oh, you know, gosh. people who know how low Jimmy will sink maybe don't know how, how hard he's been hit. Right, right. Very true. I don't know. I mean, I guess the big thing we're wondering now, we've got four episodes left. Most of the stuff that we really were wondering how they were going to handle it, most of the heavy plot stuff has been taken care of. So, I mean, that's that's four episodes with which they can create new a new little arc of story. Yeah. Um, I still believe there is some kind of trajectory for this character where in the end we will say, 
okay, he he did something, if not right, he put something right. He 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 got his mojo back. I think they they show us this guy who can think his way out of a problem. We know that in the future, um, in Omaha, he has been made uh, by a cab driver. So he's he he can't continue being Gene at Cinnabon unless he wants the threat that somebody might lord over him that they know what his past is. Right. I don't know. Do you have any kind of sense of of where the story goes from here, or do you have a hope for how the story goes from here? Um, I hope he makes it. I do too. Um, that's really where I am. Um, that's that's. It's, be honest, that's the furthest I can go. I mean, I just want I just want him to survive, and I don't want him in. I I don't want him in jail. <laughs> I no. know that's horrible. I know it's awful with everything he's done, but I just I want him kind of still out there. But I want him to be okay. That's really where I want it to be. I don't I don't know how that's gonna end up or how that's gonna happen. Um, because so much has happened. If we're talking about from the beginning of this season, I mean the beginning of this show, and then going to the end of uh, Breaking Bad, so much has happened you know yeah and seeing and him kind of walking away from it it seems it seems a little hard to me um so i'm just that's that's all i'm hoping is that he makes it what do you make of the fact that he's just a few hours from where kim is from in those omaha scenes well this is where i'm hoping this is when we're going to see kim yeah. i mean the fact that he was in you know was in nebraska like it's kind of it's exciting to kind of see where she is and and what she's doing. I, 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 you know, I, I don't think she's with anybody because <laughs> I think I'm hoping not. <laughs> I'm a dumb romantic sap though. I, I want to believe that he could knock on her door and she would open it and there's hope, you know, but I don't necessarily need to see, I don't need to see them walk off holding hands or anything. I just need to know they're both okay. And they're in the world. Kind of what you were saying. Just like with Jimmy. Um, I think that she would have a similar issue because she wouldn't be able to kind of show somebody all of her as well. Yeah. Um, I think she would. And, and so that, I mean, that doesn't mean that she doesn't connect to somebody else, but, um, you know, I think she'll, we'll definitely, we'll definitely see her again. Um, I just don't know how we'll see her again and, and how, and I'm, and I'm hoping, I don't know. I just, like I said, I, there is something, I always have some kind of sappy kind of, um, you know, I'm a romantic as well. And it's just like, they, it's like you know that they can't. I feel like you know that they can't be together because they they're just not good together. But mm -hmm. they're perfect for each other at the same at the same uh, the same breath. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, long as he doesn't bring any heat on her, you know, I don't want him to do that either. You know, because regardless of whether she was aware of everything that happened, Jimmy was the driver of all of the situations that he ended up being in. You know, he he was the he he was the cause. She was the person that kind of was saving his butt like during the course of it. But yeah, I just don't want him to I don't want the heat to come come back on her. So that's that's another thing too. She's moved on with her life and she's kind of, you know, kind of living in a place where people aren't aware of her past and kind of I don't want him to mess that up for her. So I don't know. I'm just like I said, I like the the most I can ask is that he's okay. <laughs> That's, yeah. that's the most I can ask at this point. Yeah, I, I want him okay. I don't want him in jail either. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking back to when Howard came to their place uh, and he basically said, you guys deserve each other. I do right. think that there's some truth in that. It's kind of what you were saying. It's like for better or for worse, right. there's nobody else for either one of them than, than the other one. But, but you're right. That doesn't mean there hasn't been some attempt to connect. And I do think Kim's – I'd be surprised if she hasn't done something – 
that's more like a further act of atonement or a further like you right. know some like social work or something. I don't want it to that's be a what I have in my head. No, but that's exactly what I have in my head as well. Like I, I feel like she is still wants to help others. Like you know, she kind of grew up in a rough situation, and I think that that's just part of her being is kind of helping people that um, aren't aware. Whether she's working at like um, like legal aid in a sense, but maybe not, not as an attorney, but, you know, somebody as a counselor or something, um, to kind of help people kind of that are in situations to kind of see their way out and, you know, as a, as an advocate in some kind of way. So I, that's what I'm hoping is that's where she is, you know? Well, we'll find out in just a few weeks. We'll know. know, we'll know how the whole thing ends. It's crazy. So any other thoughts? Um, I thought, I thought, Gus had an interesting time. I'm sure you you and Ronald probably went all through um, Gus and stuff like that. But I think he had an interesting story, this kind of timeline, this kind of I think I think it's been interesting just to kind of see that with everybody. No one can really have um, a private life, you know, so. Yeah. So that kind of seeing that side of Gus where um, it appears um, he has uh, has a relationship with this this man at this bar and. The fact that um, you can see the kind of excitement. You can see him. First of all, he's light because what Lalo's gone. He doesn't have that on him. And then he he sees what his life could be. And then he's like, that's not the life I chose. So I need to just move on. You know, it's exactly what you've been talking about. I either have to bring someone in fully to my existence so they can right. share my life, which is what he had before with his partner that died. Or I have to live this closed off life. And right. yeah, it's rare to see Gus like smile and enjoy someone's company. Um, and it not be kind of a, you know, his capacity. I do think there are times at Los Poyos Hermanos where he seems to genuinely enjoy, like, the competence of the people, like that that manager, Lyle. He seems oh, to like Lyle. Yes, yes, yes. But it's it's not the same, yeah. Yeah, not no. the same thing at all. But yeah, you're right. I think that was that was that was a like in a very subtle way. That was a that was a really sad it was, moment yeah. for him. And when I'm thinking about it, you know, Mike too, like. He wants yeah. to believe he has this code and Nacho's dad is telling him, he's like, well, no, you don't really have the code that you think you do. Right. Um, all of our, all of our characters are sort of half people. Right. <laughs> you exactly. Know? They, and, and it's, and if they want to continue it, well, and the truth is it doesn't even matter if they want to continue at this point because they're too far in. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, there's there because of the life that they're living, they cannot bring in someone um, or love somebody and in, in that kind of and have that kind of relationship with someone um, like Jimmy had, you know, um, yeah. you know, so he was the and I think that was also kind of why people were so, you know, shocked about Kim being there and like, you know, where did you get this woman from? I think they were probably asking that as as well as the fact that he's that she's able to be in on it like they no one else had that. No one, like no one else, has that partner that they can have. That they are they're fully involved in what's going on, and um, you know, it's you know, where did you get this woman from? It's they. No one else has had had a partner like Jimmy had. So um, this episode was really kind of the end of make sure that you know no one really has a partner anymore. It's just you know, it's if you choose to live this life, there's who's and and then who? What kind of person is going to actually sign up? to live that life with you, you know? Right. And then, um, and then unless they they're die. a person that, that, right. Yeah. They either <laughs> die or they, they are just as bad as you. Right. And that's what you're dealing with. Right. right. So. so, but that's it. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, thank you so much uh, for doing this. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> I've got to uh, get my Bluetooth on and uh, catch up on some phone calls. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're fully clove while doing so. <laughs> For more episodes of this show, as well as others like it, look for FYIZ wherever you get your podcasts.